that even when we're not sure we can cling to you anymore, you will never let go of us. What a glorious truth. It isn't about our strength to hold on. It's yours. You are the rock. You are the redeemer. You are the son of the living God. You are the word, the truth of all life. You are light and life and love. We find you meeting with us here. May that all on its own humble us. And as we, as your people, with your spirit in us, open your word, may it speak new life to dry bones, just like it did for Ezekiel. Your word is the very breath of God. Breathe over us now that we might walk out of here different than we walked in so that we can proclaim the goodness of the gospel, the greatest story ever told. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Please remain standing for the reading of the word. But you, Timothy, certainly know what I teach and how I live and what my purpose in life is. You know my faith, my patience, my love, and my endurance. You know how much persecution and suffering I have endured. You know all about how I was persecuted in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, but the Lord rescued me from all of it. Yes, and everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. But evil people and imposters will flourish. They will deceive others and will themselves be deceived. But you must remain faithful to the things you have been taught. You know they are true, for you know you can trust those who taught you. You have been taught the holy scriptures from childhood, and they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. And it's good to have Kyle back, um, even if it's just for a weekend. Yeah, amen. Um, what a blessing you are, brother. I, you'd be more of a blessing if your bride were here, because um, we love her too. But you are a massive blessing, so thank you for giving up some of your weekend home. Um, I'm, I know things are going well for you, and uh, we just continue to pray for you, but thank you. It's, it's good to have you here. He will be at the um, prayer time tonight as well, so you can catch up with him then if you would like to. But the Apostle Paul was the man that wrote, not, he wasn't the man who wrote most of the New Testament. That was actually his, one of his disciples, Luke, actually wrote the largest volume of the New Testament. But he's the one that wrote the most letters, the most books, and he's also the one who has written most of the doctrine that we believe in as Christians. 
Like from, from the beginning of the church, most of what the church has stood for, most of the doctrine, the theology, comes from the letters of Paul. And in his last letter, not just his last letter, 2 Timothy, but in the last words we have from the man, oh, get this, guys, from the man who was used by God to do more for the gospel than any human who's ever lived, period. The Apostle Paul, here's what he says in 2 Timothy 4.1. He says, I charge you in the presence of God and in Christ Jesus, who is the judge of the living and the dead by his appearing and his kingdom. Now, now, think of what I just said. Some of you were just kind of getting situated. This is the man that was used by God to give us most of what the church believes. This was the man who wrote most of the New Testament. This is a man who is now in prison again for the last time, and he knows that the time of his departure has come. Not is coming, has come. He knows he's about to be executed. These are the last words he knows he's going to get to pen, and he finishes, he says this, I charge you in the presence of God in Christ Jesus, who judges the living and the dead by his appearing in kingdom. It seems like the next words out of his mouth ought to be something we care about. I mean, in light of what I was just saying, think about this. And out of everything he wrote, he knows it's, it's over. He knows it's, and, and these, this is it. And he says, I charge you, Timothy, in the presence of God, share your opinion. Right? I charge you in the presence of God, tell everybody about what you've dreamt. What does he say? Preach the word. Right? That ought to tell us just how important God's word is. He says, I charge you, preach the word. Be ready in season, out of season. He's saying whether it's popular or not, Timothy, preach the word. Use it to reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Guys, he doesn't say, here's your job as Christians. Go debate politics. Go post on social media. Go tell people about how you think they ought to be living. Go, he, he says, preach God's word. What we're going to be looking at today is, the, is another one of these solas, sola scriptura, and it's according to scripture alone. We're in this series we're calling the Summer in the Solas. We actually started without a sola. We started with, if you remember, and I want to go back and remind you that we started with the Imago Day. What was the Imago Day? Image bearers of God. Why do we start there? Guys, because if we don't start there, none of the rest of this matters. Like, and, I, and when I mean none of the rest of this, I don't just mean none of the rest of the Bible or this summer series. Or I mean none of the rest of this matters. If we don't really believe that we are made in the image of God, then, then life does not really matter. Then marriage does not really matter. Then any sense of biblical morality does not really matter. Because all it is is just one more way of living to get us to, to behave a certain way. Guys, remember what we talked about last week? The gospel is not good rules. The gospel is good news. Right? And, and, and ultimately, if we don't believe that, what the, that the story God is telling and has been telling from the beginning is he made us, male and female, in his image, and that image was marred by sin, our sin, your sin. 
by our, by our continual rebellion. And the rest of the story is about how he is redeeming that back. In a way that only he would, probably not the way we would, but the way he would, to show us the beauty of his grace. And to give glory to his son. So the church fathers throughout history have said, okay, so what does that mean? Like, what does that look like? And one of the ways that was articulated was through the reformers, men like Martin Luther, who, who said, who, because the church has always drifted from the basics of the truth of God back into legalism or off into liberalism, one of those two. I mean, in other words, we've been too loose or too strict because we just can't seem to stick in the, in the center, which is grace. And they said, okay, here's a way to define what we believe. And so we're looking at the Summer in the Sola series. And we talked about um, how we are saved by grace alone, solo gratia, through faith alone, sola fide, in Christ alone, solus Christus. That was last week. Now we're looking at according to the scriptures alone, sola scriptura. Next week, Lord willing, in our new space, we are going to look at soli deo gloria, which is for the glory of God alone. And then we're going to finish up with another missional statement about the Missio Dei. What is the mission of God? But guys, if we don't understand, part of why we're doing this is because we, we have to understand not just what we believe and not even just why we believe it, but then also how do we then help convey it in a way that helps other people understand it? Training people to teach God's truth. Here's part of why, guys. There was, I, I, I share a lot of different statistics. Um, I saw one last week as I was studying this. Lifeway did a study a couple years ago. You know, Lifeway is one of those publishers, and they do, they do studies a lot like the Barn Institute and stuff. And they, and they did a study, and they, they surveyed some people. And about half, about half of all Bible-believing Christians described the Bible as a good source of morals. That's when they said, what is the Bible? They said it was a good source of morals. It, it, it gets better. Only about a third even said that the Bible was historically accurate. And only about a third of those actually said the Bible is helpful for day-to-day -day living. Because you understand that? that? That less than a third of people who say they believe in the Bible believe it's helpful for day-to-day -day living. I don't know why. If you didn't believe that it was helpful, I don't know why you'd believe in the Bible. Other than you just were told you were supposed to. They said this in the, in, the, um, in the survey. It says, American Christians who have adopted this philosophy that I was just talking about, about the Word of God, have borrowed heavily from the modern secular world which elevates personal definitions of right and wrong above any objective standard of truth like the Bible. Guys, and, and that is just being, I mean, our culture is literally turned upside down now by this very thing. Right? There is no objective truth is the mantra of our day. Right? And, and what we have done, even in the church, apparently, at least half of us, have unhitched our anchor from the rock that won't move. So where does that leave us? Adrift in a sea of people that say, just believe whatever you want. And here's the thing about it, and I've talked about this a lot even in the last few weeks. They don't even believe that. Like, that's what's so crazy about this idea. And, and, and some, there are people in this room, I know, who think, yeah, it's okay. We, we just need to let people believe what they believe. But nobody believes that really. Nobody believes that everybody is free to believe whatever they want. 
We just, we couldn't function as a society, let alone as a Christian, if we really believed that. If we can believe whatever we want, why was there World War II? And yet, the, the thinking in the world is so broken, we have convinced ourselves that it's okay to believe that. Yeah, it's okay to have, everybody should just be free to do what they want. When you hear that, with love, genuinely, ask them, so, so what do you mean by that? What, do, you, do you think anything goes? And they won't. So the question we're really debating now is, where's the line? Whatever the issue is, the question becomes, where's the line? As biblical Christians who believe that this is authoritative, we believe here's the line. But we also have to know how to then dig into this and go, now how do I figure out what this says about where this line is on this issue? And that's part of why we're talking about um, training people to teach God's truth. What we've done, guys, is we've created, even in the church, is this cake and ice cream idea of church. That I can, I can live in the world, I can function like the world, I can think like the world, I, I, don't need to, I don't need to project the Bible onto the world, but I still can have my ice cream and come to the word when it, when it fits me and suits me. And, and there just is no place in scripture for that at all. So what's the solution? Well, I'm glad you asked. So a man named Del Tackett, he started the Truth Project years ago um, with a couple other people. It's, a, it's, a, it's about training people to, like, to have a biblical worldview. They do worldview academies. Um, he says this. Here's the solution. If the church does not train up believers in the truth, they will find themselves floundering in a culture that desperately needs Christ. He wrote this a while ago, by the way. In essence... Christians need to return to a competent state of biblical literacy. It's why we're getting back into or trying to, now that we have a place to do it, to, to, be, do, to do more training. And you'll be hearing more about that as we move along. Churches must focus on shepherding their sheep instead of obsessing over numbers. And believers must take the end. And now, so get this part. That's the church's part, like us together corporately. Not my job. Not Jeff's job. Not the elders and the deacons' job. It's our job. But individually, then, here's our job. And believers must take the initiative to read and learn the Bible in order to apply it to their daily lives. But if only a third of all Bible-believing Christians even believe it's helpful for your daily life, why would you do that? Right? Guys, last thing about this part. This is all just, this is all just by way of introduction. The Bible, you've, you've heard this in acronym before. I've even used it. The Bible is basic instructions before leaving earth. Please don't ever say that again. Like ever. Like ever. And I've said it. Like I've said it fairly recently. Just don't say it again. Because it's ridiculous. The Bible is not basic instructions. I, I understand the heart behind that. It's, it's how do you live your life the way Paul is going to exhort us to live our lives. The Bible is the revelation of God. It is who God is and what he's doing in the world. That's the Bible. Don't somehow like distill it down to some clever anachronym because it just sounds good. Because it diminishes what the Bible really is. So today we're looking at sola scriptura. And what we're going to be talking about today, our training thought for today, is why is training in God's truth so mission critical? If, if, if we've even changed our tagline for cross, we changed the name of our church to Cross Train because of some stuff that the Lord was doing like in our lives last summer, actually is when that, whole, all that process all started. And the idea of training people to teach God's truth is where the name Cross Train even flowed out of. Like, like 
why does that matter? Why, why, why is it so important that we would go to all the trouble, even just all the details of the number of places Cornerstone like shows up like on our mailings and on our paperwork and that we have to now change to cross train, which by the way, please change your mailing address. If you haven't done that yet, like go and change the mailing address and stuff to the new address so we don't have to keep paying for this post office box any longer than we have to keep paying for the post office box. But why go to all that trouble? I mean, I, it's a lot of work. Even, even just telling them, I go to cross, I go to, no, I go to, where do I go to? I don't even know where I go to church anymore. Like, I, I get that conversation has not been easy. But I also get, I was talking to a brother, Alex, we were talking at the marriage retreat during, the, during a break um, yesterday, and he was talking about how he ran into somebody at their breakfast place. And they're like, what's, I think it was somebody at the breakfast place. And they're like, so what's this cross train thing about? He's like, well, I'm glad you asked. He was able to lead right into a conversation about training people to teach the truth of God's word. Right, And so, it's, it's, so there's reason for it, but what's the point? The point is that what we're going to see today in 2 Timothy chapter 3, if you haven't opened up your Bibles yet, open up your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 3, and we're going to see in this chapter, this is the only place we're going to be in the Bible today, because there's more here than I can handle in the 30 minutes that I have left in the message, but we're going to see that, that, GP, uh, that Paul is going to tell us, here's the problem, here's the point, here's the power, and here's the purpose. And so he's going he's to point out four Ps for us in this. So let's look at truth, training truth number one that's going to help us answer the question, why is training people in God's truth so mission critical? One, there's a problem, and here it is. So here's the problem. He says this, but understand this. He, that actually, that isn't saying understand like intellectually. That's his way of saying, get this, Timothy. Note this is what it actually means. So he's, he's not saying understand, like try to reason it. He's saying pay attention. That, that in these last days, now the last days, are, that is not the tribulation. That is not, that the last days is the church age. We are in the last days. Remember we talk a lot about how we're living in this tension between the already finished and not yet accomplished. In other words, from his first coming to his second coming. Everything between those two comings to God is the last days. We are in the last days. Paul was in the last days. So he's saying, in these last days, times of difficulty will come. Guys, this, this is why, as we see the culture disintegrating around us, as we see all this stuff happening, we don't wring our hands, we don't run for the hills, we, what Jesus told us to do in Luke 21, 28, we do what, Mark? Stand up and look up. Right, my, my little tagline on my, on my emails where it says, keep looking up, Matt, Luke 21, 28. He says, when you see these things happening, the things Paul's going to tell us about, he says, don't hunker down, stand up and look up because your salvation is drawing near. Right, that's the posture of a Christian. Right, we, don't, we don't, I mean, I, I get that I, I lament what's happening in our society, but I don't, I don't want to run in fear from that. And he's saying, because guys, it, it has always been so. Now, why has it been so? He tells us. Here's the problem. Because people will be lovers of self. Because I could probably just stop there, talk more about what's going on in our culture, and be done. Like, this is where we're living. I mean, we have taken self-love to a whole new level in the last four years. I mean, we just have. Everything that is happening in our culture, the entire LBGTQ, XYZ+, all that stuff, is all, it's all about defining self the way I want to define self. Now, they didn't invent that. 
That has been the problem from the beginning. Adam and Eve wanted to define themselves in the garden. They were lovers of self. I want to be like God. Right? They were already like God. They were made in his image. But so, so he's saying, it's, we all are lovers of self. And here's kind of what it looks like. And he keeps going. Lovers, we love money. We're proud. We're arrogant. We're abusive. Abusive there, the word in Greek does not mean abusive physically. He's not talking about physical abuse. It actually means um, blasphemy. It means you're abusing the word of God. He's saying you're, you're basically misrepresenting God's word. That's what he means. You're abusing the truth. Disobedient to their parents ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unpleasable, un unappeasable, slanderous. Now get this, this is interesting. Because let's face it, these are some pretty hard words. Now your, your, your Bible um, might be translating some of the, the Greek words different, but they're pretty harsh words. He gets to this word, and guess what that word is when he says slanderous? It's diabolos. What does that word mean? Devil. He gets to these really harsh words, and he says, and here's one that is so bad, you are, you are the spawn of of satan like literally is what he's saying you are a little demon if you are a slanderer if you gossip if you talk poorly about other christians not i didn't say talk correctively to other christians he'll get there in a little bit there's a re there's a time for us to get together and talk with one another and go hey man we need to talk a little bit about what's going on in your life there's a time for that that's not what he's talking about he's talking about going to other people and talking to them about that person. And, and, and I've shared this many times here. Slander and gossip has done more damage to the church throughout human history than every other sin in the book. Literally. And that's part of why he chooses, out of all the words he could use there, he chooses little devils. You are a little devil. That's what's going to happen in the church. It's without self-control, brutal, not loving good. It says, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of self, and it's, or rather than lovers of God, sorry. Guys, it is just, it's back to this self-love, self-definition that, that honestly, it, I, I held it up, a few of you have actually read it, but I held up that book um, by um, Carl Truman called the Rise, and, um, the Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self, and he goes all the way, he goes back to before Darwinism, but, but Darwinism, and I was an evolution-believing person for the first half of my life, um, to Marxism, all the way up to Freudianism, it, it's, it is all about, it's all the, those are all tools of the enemy. Darwin, without knowing it, I, I believe, I don't know, I didn't know the dude, he lived in the 1800s, but I, I don't believe he intentionally was, an, was, was a little Diablo, but I think that what he was, was he was a tool of Satan. To do what? To, to give us the freedom to define ourselves the way we want to define ourselves. Because if we're not made in the image, if, 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 if Satan can unhook us from being image bearers of God, because you weren't really made by God, you were just, you, were just, you evolved from sludge, Chloe. I, I, I'm glad it went well for you. Like, seriously, right? Like, the, the, if, we, if we believe that, then, then there's, no, there's no thing to go back to and go, but wait a minute. Like, how am I supposed to be? What did God make me for? Because we've now unhitched ourselves. Marxism is the same, is the same way. It's, it's all of these isms are just self-defining things. And it's been going on at an ever-escalating rate um, for 100 years. And that's why that book is, does a great job of, like, laying out, here's how we got to the current cultural moment. 
So let's keep going. He says, they have the appearance of godliness. That means the outward shape of religion. Appearance of godliness is what he means there. Great examples of this. Jehovah Witnesses. Mormons. I would say, I would say ultra-conservative Christians. People that, that, that often, they, they live a very moral life on the outside and have no heart for God. Right? So he's saying that that's what's ultimately happened. They, they deny his power. Right? In other words, they're not spirit-filled people. They don't realize that in order for any, of that, for any of that morality to work, I actually have to be saved, be sealed in the spirit, and then walk in step with the spirit. It's all about just behavior for them. And then he says this, avoid such people. So he's like, just don't, but, but, but now here's, here's the struggle as Christians. So we immediately, because what we could do is, oh, see, that's exactly why, it's not just avoid that last little part, it's avoid all of those things, the heartless, the unappeasable, the, I mean, you start going, okay, you, you start putting names by, you know, if you're, if you're, if you get, like, bitter, you start, like, putting names next to other. I know a person that's ungrateful, and I know this person is unholy, and here's a person. One, we, gotta, we need to read these in light of ourselves. I loved where Brian took us, like, hey, man, we got to start with, with our own pride issues. But, here's the, but, but the other part of it is, look, just look back up at verse 24 of chapter 2. Right, right before he tells Timothy this, he tells us chapter 2, verse 24. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to everyone. Not just to the people you like, not just to the people in your church, not just to the people in your home. He must be kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil. Because, man, when I was reading those other parts, when I, when I was just reading those verses in chapter 3, I was geared, I was ready to go. I'm mean, going let's just go knock some people out. You know, like, like you're like, come on. Yeah, now I, I know the people that are bad and I know the people that are good, so let's go. He's saying, yeah, but no, we're supposed to correct our opponents with gentleness? What? God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to the knowledge of the truth. And they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Amen. Like the, and such were some of you, some of uh, all of us. But, God, we were washed in the blood of the Lamb. So, don't read these things and go, oh, yeah, I get me. We, have to, we have to filter it even through what Paul just wrote. Right? Context is king. It's one of those things about knowing scripture. So keep going. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdening, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at the knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so, they, so these men also opposed the truth. Men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith, but they will never get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as, was, as it was in those two men. Guys, understand, you got to understand, like, this is basically what he's saying. He's writing this letter back to Timothy, who is in Ephesus, a place that he lived for a couple years. It's also the place that in Acts, he says that at my departure, wolves will creep in. He's like, when I leave the church in Ephesus, my greatest fear is that wolves in sheep's clothing will creep into the church, and, and he's describing what those people look like here. But guys, we have, to, we have to get, talked a little bit about this in the marriage for yesterday, we have to get that our COVID is not the problem. Corrupt politicians are not the problem. The declining culture is not the problem. Satan is the problem. All of those other things, 
how we're, how we're being told we need to respond to the COVID crisis and have been for the last year, how we are dealing with the political climate or the cultural climate, those are all symptoms of the problem. But Satan is the problem. And we have to remember that. Ultimately, th that's what he just told us in, at the end of chapter 2, that they're being deceived by the enemy. And the only solution to the lies, the father of lies, Satan, is to know the truth. So as the church, our number one job, we need to be involved in all those other areas, the culture, in politics. We need to be involved in how to respond correctly to, to to COVID, but those are secondary things that flow out of our understanding of this, which means as secondary things, we should be spending way more time in this than we are researching those other areas, right? And that's part of our struggle, I think, right now, because it's so much easier to just get on our newsfeed or Facebook or whatever your thing is and just start scrolling through all of those social dilemma issues and not spend any time actually in the Word of God. So look at your table talk question. The first one, it says this. It says, is your life being changed by the word of God? Is your life being changed by the word of God? And we're going to obviously unfold more of that as we go through um, the rest of the, the time this morning. But is it, is it being changed? Does, does your time in the word, well, one, if you're not in the word, it's not being changed by the word. But two, when you are in the word, are, is it actually doing its work in your life? And if so, How? And, and a great way to ask yourself the question, this question, what, is it, what influences you more? What influences your decision-making, your feelings, what, what, the world, or the word? So when you see that bad thing on social media, or you, or you hear about that situation in politics, or you, whatever it is, I get anxious too. I get frustrated too. I get angry too. But the question becomes, how long do I hang there and how quickly can I grab that thought and replace it with the truth of God's word? Right? Like that, like ask yourself, like, do I do I spend more of my time obsessing about world stuff than than thinking about word stuff? So, why is training God's truth so mission critical? One, there's a problem. The problem is the enemy's a liar. Right? And here's the point. So let's keep going, and here's the point. Look at verse 10. There's actually a Greek word there. It depends on your translation. Some translations leave it out. It's just the Greek word for a transition, but. It's day. It says, but you, however. So not just you, however. So he's, he's, he's trying to, and, and the reason, that's the reason some of your Bibles have a pericope there. That's they made a break and put a new title, like a new section. It's also why I have my second point starting there. Because when you see a word in the Bible like, but, that means there's probably a new thought happening connected to the past thought. So in light of what we just saw, the problem, he's saying, but Timothy, you do different. He says, because you followed my teaching, my contact, my conduct, my aim in life. He's saying the very purpose for which I live, Timothy, you've seen it. My faith, my patience, my love, my, stead my steadfastness. Now get this. Oh, by the way, which, Timothy, you also know led to, verse 11, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to, be in, that happened to me in Antioch and Iconum and Lystra, which, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord has rescued me. Guys, he's saying, you, Timothy, you know my life. You know how I've lived. You know why I've lived that way. My whole aim in life was to glorify Christ, and you also know where it led it led to where I'm at right now, chained to a floor in a prison. 
Why should that surprise us? When Jesus, when Jesus t- tells us in John 15, if the world hates you, know this. They hated me first. Right? How, how much clearer could Jesus be? Matthew, Matthew 5, blessed are you when you are persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for the sake of me. Because your reward in heaven is going to be great. Guys, we should not be shocked. Here's what we should be shocked by. If you're receiving no pushback about being a Christian, be shocked. I didn't say about being a Republican. I didn't say about being conservative. I didn't say about your stance on some issue you think is very biblical. Whatever, alcohol or tobacco or whatever your thing, gambling. I didn't say that. I said, if you're not receiving pushback for being a Christian, be concerned. Because here's the thing. At the very least, the enemy sees you as completely useless to the kingdom of God. Do you understand that? In light of scripture, if you're receiving, if you get no friction at school, no friction in your place of work, no, no friction in community, no friction about the gospel and about Christ, it's because the enemy thinks you're useless. That ought to scare you. Because it scares me. Like, we, we need to celebrate being worthy of the enemy's notice. So let's keep going. He says, verse 12, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. If you remember in, in, in chapter eight, or verse 8 of chapter 1, he tells Timothy, Therefore, don't be ashamed of, the testimony about our, of my testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel, for it is the power of God. Guys, remember, he is writing this letter to Timothy, alone, ready to be executed, chained to a floor. This is not theory to him. Right? This, and and, and he is, he's ready to go, but he's had a hard life. Guys, there's the, in the Chronicles of Narnia, there's a scene, I think it's in the first one, but there's the scene where Badger is talking to the kids, and, and they're like, yeah, but and they're talking about Aslan, and, and he's like, yeah, he seems scary. Like, is he safe? And what does the beaver say? Safe? He's not safe. Wasn't it the beaver or was it the badger? Was it be- okay. he's, like, well, he's not safe, but he's good. Guys, that's Jesus. That's who we follow. Which means being a Christian and following him is not safe, but it's good. Let's keep going. He says, while evil people and imposters will go from bad to worse. Like, wow, thanks, Paul. This is so encouraging. Being deceiving and being deceived. Remember, the enemy cares little about a lukewarm Christian. Verse 14. But, he's, he's saying, he says, like, so, but you need because he, he kind of transitioned back. Here's what's wrong in the world. But, Timothy, you be different. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed in, knowing from whom you learned it. Again, in chapter 1, verse 5, he says, he tells Timothy, I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, 
and now I am sure dwells in you. He's saying, guys, he's saying, Timothy, he's saying, church, you know what you believe. You know who taught you what you believe. Stand firm in it. The question is, what did he believe? Well, what he believed was... Um, in first, or was in um, 1 Corinthians 15. He believed the gospel because, because based on all of this scripture, God's story is the gospel, the good news of the gospel, that, that God is redeeming back to him and restoring back for all time in his glory what was lost in the garden. What, what Paul is telling Timothy is, Timothy, you know, you, your, your mom and your grandma taught you those scriptures about Jesus. You believed in them. You know, stand firm in those things. So he, the way Paul says it in 1 Corinthians 15. Now, now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preach to you, that which I also you received, in which you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preach to you, unless you believe in vain. He's like, guys, believe, you've got to stand firm in the gospel. So look at your next table talk question. In a world that is increasingly hostile towards the things taught in God's word, what are some ways you can stay anchored to his truth? In a world that is increasingly hostile towards the things of God. Guys, it's the slow fade that is... Remember those statistics I I mentioned too long ago now in the message? Half of all Bible-believing Christians just say that it's a good source of moral teaching. The Bible... that they didn't wake up one day and decide that. They slow faded down into that. So how do we avoid the slow fade? Well, one of the ways is we're in the Word every day. One of the ways is we're together a lot to encourage one another. Right? We, ha- we have to be together. But guys, I, I, and I know I'm way over. I don't know how the time got. Where, God, it must be the rain. Um, I'll blame it on something. Blame it on the rain. <laughs> Sorry. Um, I, that was bad, wasn't it, Jeff? I don't, I don't remember who sang that, and I probably don't want to know. Um, remember, I was not a believer the first half of my life. So, um, guys, and, and, and I, you know, we're talking about God's Word, so you know at some point I have to get on my soapbox, right, about being in God's Word every day. Guys, we make it so easy on you. I mean, we do. Like, we, we, daily readings are on your, on, on your bulletin. We send them out in a daily devotional every day if you want them on your, in your email. They're posted on our website every week. They're, guys, we, we, it, we, we try to make them as connected as possible to what we're teaching on Sundays. We try to make it as con- conversational as we can, and yet it's amazing to me the number of you that aren't doing it. Honestly, it's just it's shocking to me. And here's the, here's the most shocking part to me. It isn't shocking. I mean, I get that it's being in the God's word is hard. I, I understand that. I, I get that it takes discipline. I get all those things. But here's what's shocking to me is I'll talk to people about, hey, you're doing the daily readings. Well, they don't really work for me. I have this other plan that I'm doing. Within weeks when I meet with that same person, I'm going, so tell me about how your Bible. Well, you know, I've really been struggling lately to get to do it. I'm like, how, guys, just how about just just try? Just try. Like, rather than say, I, I, rather than make excuse for why the way we're doing it as a church doesn't work for you, and then ending up doing nothing, which frankly is most of us, just try it. 15 minutes. Read, reflect, respond. Don't tell me, gentlemen, you don't have time. Don't. Men do what men want to do. You waste more than 15 minutes every day, I promise. Don't tell me you don't know how to memorize 
stuff or, or, or retain information or remember what I read or have it. Because if I asked you a question about the, res- like the standings in some sports thing or what make of a certain car there is or what fill in the blank, whatever, you guys, we do know. Wait, you guys can do that. There's not a person in this room of any A, well, maybe one. There's not a person in this room that doesn't have the mental fortitude to read something and respond to it because we do it all the time. All of those things. I don't have time. I, can't, I don't have the ability. And just ask for help. Swallow your pride and ask for help. If, if you're not getting anything out of the word, you know, I, I offer this all the time. You know how many people have ever taken me up on, hey, I'd love to sit down with you over a cup of coffee and show you how to read and respond to the word. You know how many people have taken me up on that offer ever? Zero. And yet, I am overwhelmed with the number of people that tell me they're not reading and writing or responding to God's word. I'm just shocked. It, and, and guys, I, I'm not trying to guilt you into that. My soapbox is not a guilt box. It is a passionate plea because if we believe what we're about to read about this word, guys, how can you not be in it? It just, it is, it is, you can't be successful without it. You just can't. Those things, I don't have time, those are excuses. They're lies from the enemy. Don't buy them. Get back in the game. Like more now than ever, get back in the game. Sinclair Ferguson, who is a very heady thinker, said this about being in the Bible. We know the scripture so little. And if we are really honest, we love the Lord Jesus so little as well. That if someone put us, now get this, guys, this just convicted the snot out of me. If someone put us into a room with no distractions and said, I just want you to sit here and think about the Lord Jesus for five minutes. Many evangelical Christians in the Western world would find that an enormous trial. Because we don't know five minutes worth of the Lord Jesus. So why is training in God's truth so important? There's a problem. The enemy whispers lies. Right? That, that's, part, that's part of our struggle is the enemy whispers lie after lie. The point of God's word is the gospel. He's pointing us back to the truth of God's story, God's beauty, God's goodness, God's love. Right? And here's the power. Look at, look at verse the second half of verse 15. It's our third point. And the last two points I promise go, have to go quickly which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. What are able to make you wise into salvation? The scriptures that he is acquainted with. How is that even possible? Because Romans 10, 17 says, faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Guys, apart from the word of God, this is where the power is. God's words spoken over God's people. Guys, but we have to understand this. God's truths are not bricks to throw at people. They're bread to feed people. Some of us, we love our Bible studies. We love the fill in the blanks. We love the, because man, it helps give us some truth. And, and too often that truth is then used in a way that is hard and harsh. 
Because what we didn't have is we just didn't have time to sit at the feet of Jesus and let, with his word and let him speak to our soul, which not only teaches us some truth, but also reminds us of his grace. Because we didn't just fill in a blank that somebody else gave us. We realized, wow, what just happened here? Me reading and, and actually being able to respond to the word was a supernatural act that I couldn't do before I was saved. It keeps us gentle and a little more patient with those people that can't do that because they're not yet saved. Guys, we are beggars telling other beggars who the bread is. That's it. That's all we are. I have no greater insight than you do. I'm a beggar just like you. Let me keep going. All scripture, because here's kind of the whole point of the passage, an hour into this message. Here's, here's, a point, here's the whole point of the passage. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. I'm not gonna, I've taught on this passage many times. There's a whole section on it in the toolkit. I'm not going to go through what each of those words mean at all because we've done that and there's places you can go for that. Guys, here's, the, here's what I want you to get out of this part. This is, Timothy is not saying, or Paul is not saying to Timothy, no more Bible. He's not, guys, the, the battle here is not for head knowledge. It's for heart application, right? The, the battle here is not, guys, the reason we want to read God's word is not that we have stronger arguments against the culture. The reason we want to know God's word is because we just read that it is the power to save souls. Because here's the thing, regardless of who you think your enemy is, maybe it's somebody you know personally, maybe it's somebody that's just out there in the culture, whatever it is, here's what we know about them. We know they're image bearers of God, and we know they have a soul. And we know that the thing we just read, that the thing that's going to turn that soul, that's going to take that soul from the kingdom of this world to the kingdom of God is his word. Right? That's it. Now, now that word, when it says there that the scripture is breathed out by God, it's actually the word theonustros. Theonustros. It's the neustros is the is the word that's often used to describe the Holy Spirit, the wind of God. It actually means, like literally, it means God's word is God's breath. It is the breath of God. Not not was the breath of God. Is the breath of God. How did God bring Adam to life? He breathed into them. How did Ezekiel bring life to the dry bones? Breath. Guys, when we come to the word of God, it isn't to make a stronger case for our argument. It's to have his breath fill us up. So look at your table talk question. It says, how should knowing that the word of God is the breath of God flavor how you come to it each day? I really want you to take time, like at the dinner table or whenever today, to talk about, okay, if we actually saw this as God breathing into us, how would that make our Bible time look different? 
So why is it so mission critical that we train people to teach God's truth? One, there's a problem, and that's that the enemy lies. Two, there's a point that is in Scripture, and that is the gospel and Jesus Christ. The third is, um, where's the power? It's God's breath. Apart from God's breath, apart from the Holy Spirit, this word is just a book, right? It's, it's the word of God. The Spirit of God takes the word of God and applies it to the people of God to transform us into the image of the, of the Son of God. It takes both spirit and truth. And the last thing is, so what's the purpose and look at what he says in verse 17. I'm going to have the music team come up with this, so now you know I have to be done. And they're like, no, no, you don't, because you can keep going. But verse 17, here's the purpose. So it's, it's, it's breathed out by God for teaching, reproof, correction, for training in righteousness. That at the word there at the start of verse 17 is henna, which means so that. And remember, I've talked about this. Whenever you see like a so that in the Bible, that's another one of those, okay, wait a second, Paul's making a big point here. He's saying, so that the man of God, man of God there does not mean, it's not, it's not the word Adam, which is translated man, it's the word anthropos, which is translated humans. So that the human beings may be complete, equipped for every good work. Now part of our problem, guys, in understanding and, and like sharing the word of God and speaking the word of God is we think we don't know enough. Here's what this verse is saying. It is saying, if you are saved, you are a man of God completed. Why? Because that word complete, or the word equipped there is in the passive voice, meaning God did it to you. You didn't do anything to be equipped. God did it. He equipped you. And it's in the perfect tense, which means it's done. You go, yeah, but I don't know that much scripture. Do you know enough to share it? Whatever scripture you know is enough to share. Right, so he's saying that the man of God, you are already complete if you know the truth of God's word. Fully prepared, fully equipped for the purpose that God has intended. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, according to the scriptures alone. For the glory of God alone. There are a lot of faiths out there. There are a lot of belief systems. Everybody has their own individual one now that profess to be the truth. There is only one who is the truth and it is Jesus Christ. I close with words from Charles Spurgeon. Other men had the threads of truth but Christ took the threads and wove them into a glorious robe, put it on and came forth clothed with every truth of God. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the reality of your truth and its work in our lives. Lord, I want to pray right now for those that don't know the truth of the gospel, which is the only way by which we can stand before a holy God. That all of this, this, this book and all of these words has a point and a purpose, and that is salvation of souls. You use it to train us and to teach us and to conform us into the image of your son because then we can share him, the word in flesh, with a world that needs to hear that good news. And so the cycle continues. So let us come to you, let us come to your word so that we can help other people for the fame and the glory of your name, for the expansion of your kingdom. For the love of Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.